This podcast is sponsored by FHE Health and their Shatterproof program for first responders. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. So excited to have my good friend Chad Bruckner back on the show. He's a former law enforcement professional of many years. He's also a mover and shaker in the first responder community, an influencer. And he's also coming out with a brand new book that I'm very excited about. I know he is, obviously, and he's going to talk about it on this show. Chad Brockner, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. You know, I I love this guy. Uh, my next guest, Chad Bruckner, uh, some of you know this, but he was there for me in my darkest hour. And without Chad, and I just told him this before we started, I, I don't know if I would be here today. Chad Bruckner is a good friend. Uh, he's an author, soon to be. He's got a great book out he's going to talk about. He's a combat vet with the Army. He also was a veteran law or is a veteran law enforcement officer. He's doing so much for the first responder community out there. And he's on the show. Chad, welcome, brother. Brother. Wow. What an intro. You think about you think about our moments when we're down. Exactly. And you think you think about the moments when we're up. And if you look at the moments when we're down, everybody looks like a piece of crap. Yeah. But then I look at the Patrick Fitzgibbon leading a, a major criminal justice podcast, working for Shatterproof and FHG Health. If we look at that, you're like, this guy's successful. So I love it, man. I'm proud of you. I'm really proud. Well, I, I'm proud of you, man. And like I said, I mean, I, I remember, Chad, and you, you you probably remember too. I was calling you and I was in some dark places, man. We were talking. Yeah, um, man. I was, I remember grocery, we were grocery shops, grocery shopping, and oh I had to step, step away and I'm texting. Yeah, it's okay, oh man. God. That was, that was you, that's man. how, that's how it goes, right? Like, no matter where you're at, we got to help each other. We got to support each exactly. other. Exactly. Exactly. And so the audience knows I've known Chad for a long time, but we've never met in person, which we will in the future. I, I know we will. But my point in saying that is, you know, when you're in those dark places, some of the people that are going to reach out to you and, and be there for you are some people like you, Chad, with me. I, I've never met. Mm, wow. You know, and those, and those people, it's, it's amazing. You know, Chad, and you probably can relate to this. People you thought that would be there when you're in those places, crickets, and people that you never expected. Like, I never expected our friendship. I'm mm. blessed to have it. 
But people, at least, I and maybe I'm, I hope I'm sounding making sense. But the people you never expected to reach out with you and stick with you, yeah, wow. Yeah, you know, you powerful. know what I think that is, Patrick. I think that is. This is where I actually had to work a lot in the last few years to forgive people because I had a lot of resentment and anger about that specifically. And um, and these are people that I would have died for and yeah. cared about. And um, but what I really learned is the more I talk to people and really really dig into this is there is so much shame in this first responder community. And that's all I can talk about. But yeah, yeah that often the times the people that you expect to reach out to you are the ones that are battling so much themselves and haven't Absolutely. come through that haven't walked through the fire yet. The Absolutely. ones that reach out and help you are the ones that have been there and they walk through it and they understand or like, give me your hand. I don't need to know you. I just need to help you. And um, so I've learned to forgive everyone in my life. That's ever in the last four years, I should say that, that, you know, the police side that I expected to reach out and they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you tons of forgiveness for them because I think they're going through their own battles. Oh, I agree with you hundred percent. I've, I've forgiven just tons of people. And, you know, when you, when you carry that inside of you, Chad, you know, this, it's like, you know, drinking poison, waiting for the other person to die. It's just, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just, it just destroys you internally, physically, mentally. Um, when you obsess I, over people, you just don't have a life anymore. You don't have a life. No, you don't. And and so many people, and especially first responders, and you mentioned it, you know, if they're struggling, and I know I've been there, you've been there, you know, they're so worried about, well, if I reach out, oh, shit, what's Chad going to say about me? Or, right, or right. people aren't going to want to work with me and stuff like that, which is a valid concern in, in a lot of agencies. Yeah. But, dude, you, you got to take care of yourself first. You know what's crazy, Patrick? And, and I put this in my book and, and, and it made me think about this. Every police department in America, I guarantee it. I mean, I can't guarantee it, but I'd say 99%. Every single one has probably one officer who's fairly empathetic, fairly patient, a really good listener, trustworthy. I guarantee that's probably in every agency. Those are the people we need to build our departments around. Yeah. Them. Them. Because when we have trusting relationships, not just one, but we start to have multiple ones in our department, we can go to somebody, be vulnerable, open up, and we know it won't go to anywhere. It won't get back to anybody. Probably like you, I had people in the police department come up to me and share, and I was probably one of the only ones they would do that. And I never told yeah. anybody. I would keep it in, and that was just the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a lot of agencies. I know they have those people. We want to um, we want to still rally behind the, the tactical gear and everything, but I really think if we rally behind these empathetic officers, these really compassionate uh, go-getters in our agencies. Everyone has one, at least one. They're the ones that are going to help us weather these storms on a peer level, like peer support. Really absolutely. 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 And you know, Chad, I mean, you were a cop for a long time. I mean, people aren't flocking to law enforcement anymore. Nope. People aren't flocking nope. to first responder fields. Nope. And so we and need to t take care of the people we have. The retention issue is such an interesting topic, buddy. And, um, you know, so many good cops are leaving. I left uh, simply because I was working in an agency that, that it's just, yeah. it was a toxic agency. And yeah, yeah. I felt like we weren't serving the community the way I wanted to serve anymore. And my values were just challenged. And I speak with so many police officers now. And the retention issue is something that we really need to dig in because all the senior or the good wisdom, the senior officers that are, that are leaving, they could stay in their agency and really make a huge impact in the community and for their other officers. But they also recognize that that they're taken advantage of. They are being piled on or dumped yeah, so in. So why would on. they stay? Why would they stay? Exactly. So if we can reframe these cultures and change this in the next five years to make our police departments be more empathetic, more inclusive, keep these empathetic officers that love people, that love on people, keep them here so they can love uh, on other officers. They can love on the community. That's what we need. Uh, absolutely. Well, me selfishly, I'm glad that you left. Um they lost an amazing guy and a, and a good cop, but I'm glad you're on the path that you are now 
because I think the path you are now, albeit rough sometimes, and we all go through rough patches. I think, man, you are, you, you've already blossomed, but uh, you know, I think bigger and bigger and greater things are coming for Chad, but it, it, it's so funny how we, because I miss law enforcement, Absolutely. you know, certain aspects of it. I tell people, you know, I miss some of the clowns. I don't miss the circus. But, exactly. Yeah. you know, I, I, you know, I'm not holding on to it as much as I used to, because I know God has a different path for me. And I think, you know, people have to embrace that or it's hard to embrace it. But you, you really should try not you, Chad, but other people listening is, is that, look, if you're unhappy and you're working in a toxic agency, maybe the universe, God, whatever you believe in is trying to nudge you to make a change that not only is going to make you more healthy, but get you into something where that's your life's purpose. That's what you're supposed exactly. to be doing. You bring up a great point, brother, that, that, that policing is a calling. And when you leave a step away from that calling, you have to emotionally grapple with that and, and grieve that. Yeah. However, that may be, it could be a full retirement. You left, they gave bells and whistles. They celebrated you. They gave you a parade. The community kissed your hands and you were shaking hands and kissing babies. <laughs> you can have all of that. And that's awesome. I hope every cop retires gets that because of all the work they put in through that 20, 25 year career. But the reality is when you leave that, you still have to grieve a career that you're no longer doing. Yeah. Now add another wrinkle. Maybe you went through, I'll just use my example. I didn't leave in my head held the most highs I wanted to. That's on me. I own that. But um, that's something I had to grieve. I had to work through. I had the shame of not leaving the way I wanted to leave. Shame of leaving a profession that I loved. I loved it. I loved the impact. I loved the community engagement. I loved it all. Um and have, you have to grieve that. I think we all have to grieve whatever we, career we lose or we move or transition to. And that's where the gratitude and positivity comes. Like you said, is I have to remind myself there's another path, there's another course. And, um, and living in both areas, you know, I miss policing. I do. And that's why I, wanted, that's why I wrote this book. And I want to help change it, make it better. But I'm also going another road and trying to navigate both at the same time. And that's, that's so amazing because I, I think a lot of people don't do that. You know, before we started, we were talking about comfort zones. Yeah. And we all love it. We're creatures of habit. We all love our comfort. We don't like change. I don't like change. You don't like change, but that's where the growth is, right? It it's is. like the guy, yeah. it's like the new yacht or boat that's built. Well, how do you know it's going to be seaworthy if it's tied up on the dock the whole time? It's true. That's true. You, you got to take it out there. Take a it's, few it's, beatings, take a few waves. Exactly. That's that resilience is built. And I wear this bracelet resilience and I love wearing it because it, it, it's built in all that pain and all that, that, negative stuff. I think if we just embrace it, learn from it, move on from it. Um, and we might, we might repeat it again. We don't know what's going to happen in life because we don't control everything. So, yeah. but I, I, I definitely learned one thing in the last four or five years. Uh, I missed so many opportunities to build my resilience younger in my life. And that's what I want to help younger cops. Yeah, and I, I went in the army. It's, I went in the army at 17, was in combat at 24. I missed opportunities then to build my resilience. I was a kid growing up kind of low income. I mean, there were, there were moments of, you know, we didn't have food in the house and, didn't buy school lunches. Um, and again, I missed opportunities there because we weren't talking about resilience and we were, we were trying to avoid all that painful stuff. We hid all that stuff. We only want to present what's great and beautiful in the world. But what I really learned is if we dig into all that bad stuff, that is how we can work on our ego. We can become more humble. Absolutely. And man, we can, move, we can move faster and go, go faster and harder. But the, but the military taught you resiliency. Law enforcement it did, did it, correct? It did. It did. It did. What, I guess what I mean is I missed the opportunity oh, to okay. embrace that. You're yeah. Like I missed, um, I didn't recognize when things would happen. My, myself wouldn't yeah, be able but to that, but, but it's, you know, it. I, at least you're getting it now, brother. I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, and you're still young and 
some people, as you know, Chad, I mean, they go through life blaming other people. They, 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 they're not resilient. They're a lot of people do that. Um, yeah. and they don't take advantage of situations. You know, again, we were talking before it's, you know, do you want to be that guy or person who, you know, is on their deathbeds? God, oh, fuck, I should have done that. I mm. should have taken that risk. There's a great Buddy, book that, out there by Bronnie. I'm a, Ware. I'm, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm paranoid. I want to hear about this book, but I'm paranoid about that. Like that thought, <laughs> literally, we talked about this off air before we started, but like, and, and I love if you want to tell that parable, that story, because that really oh, yeah. resonated with but um, it, it is that it, it, that is part of what drives me, man. I don't want to look my kids in the eye and ever have a regret that I should have been a better father. I don't want to look my wife in the eye and say I should have been a better husband. And I do this every day, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's the same thing. I think that's what fuels me. So maybe it's a little unhealthy. I'm not sure, but um, no, it's, work, I, I th- it's working I, for me. It's working. I think that's a good drive. You know, yeah. you you have to have a why, right? I right, mean, and right. and to to answer you, and I, I we. Chad and I were talking beforehand and I, I saw this clip. It was Joe Rogan. I can't remember the guest. The listener could probably Google it and figure out who it was. I can't remember the guest, but the, the, the guest told Rogan at one point, they were talking about, you know, life and stuff like that. And the guest said, true hell to him is when somebody dies and they meet the person they could have been. And I was like, holy shit. I mean, talk about powerful. What does that mean for people out there thinking, scratching their head? That means you have to take risks. You have to take chances. You have to grow and you have to get resilient, like Chad says, and you have to step out of your comfort zone because how the fuck are you going to know unless you don't take a chance? You might fail. A lot of us do, but that doesn't mean that stops you. You keep going. Mm. So when I heard that, I was like, holy crap. And I, I was sharing it with, with you, brother, and you got hair sticking up on you. <laughs> Dude, I still do. I still do. I'm actually, it, literally, if I wish I could show it to you, it's sticking up. But it's but, powerful. Um, it's powerful. And, and you know you know why that's powerful, Patrick, for me, is the eternalness of it, right? The, oh, yeah. the You, for the rest of your life, for the rest of your existence in hell, you have to stare at your doppelganger of what you could have been. You get to think of that regret, that resentment you have for all the things that you didn't, you missed out on, the things that you could have fixed yourself. Yeah. You could have made an apology. You could have reached out and done something yourself. Like that torment for me, an eternal torment. No, sir, I don't want any of that. No, 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 no. And, and if you don't, if you don't get what you want, whatever that is, at least you can say, you know what? I tried. Exactly. I tried. I gave yep, it my all. It's rather that you do that than to not try at all. Well said, sir. Well said. So tell us about the book. I'm super excited about it. I'm so proud of you, my friend, for for putting pen to paper uh, and writing about you, your man. vast experience, military experience, law enforcement experience, life experience. Tell us about the book. Yeah, man. Thank you. Um, this this I never set out to be an author, uh, but it, I'd be foolish to say that probably wasn't in the cards. I just didn't know it. Um, so. Yeah, I, this book is it's called The Holy Trinity of Healthy and Successful Police Organizations, Improving Leadership, Culture, and Wellness. I believe you can't have a successful and healthy police organization without those three. Um, mm-hmm. And I reference my own experience. I worked at one police department. It was a 30-person agency. So, of course, my perspective is going to be limited to that. What I learned through all of this is you cannot, we cannot continue to put officers in harm's way, ask them to do hard things, Order them basically to see hard things and do hard things and not create a culture of healing for them, a culture of wellness. You can't, can't do it Love because it. people are going to leave. People are going to need to get that, that health. There's a reason why we 
are self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. There's a reason why we're cheating on our spouses. There's a reason why we're late to work uh, sometimes and we lie about why we're late to work. There's a reason why we're taking mental health days. We never stop to ask that. Oh, you lied. Do you know why I lied? Because I'm struggling. Yeah. I'm struggling. And I can't tell you I'm struggling. So I lied right. to you. We don't yeah. think like that. And we need yeah. to think that way. And, and I'm yeah. sorry, but I get real passionate. But no, it's, it's very I, I, on point. I know. I absolutely know. And this is a solution. We keep talking about the recruitment and retention issue. And I keep hearing these autocrats mess this up because they're the ones that are responsible for it. It really comes down to selecting the right chief executive. You get an empathetic, compassionate, people-centric leader, an executive running an agency. Six months, a year later, you're going to have well-staffed. You're going to be well-trained. You're going to be well taken care of. You're going to be providing good service. It's only logical and common sense to think that way. Too many agencies are hiring SWAT commanders, tactical experts, egomaniacs to lead these departments, which I'm not against SWAT. I'm not saying that, but you have to think of the lens of which sure. their new job, their new a job. SWAT is not encompasses, a SWAT well, SWAT, as you know, encompasses very little sliver of law enforcement operations, but go ahead. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely right. So if you're going to hire a SWAT commander to be your next chief, you really need to have conversations about what that would look like because they're not going to be leading a SWAT team in their new role. Um, and, and that's where we're really missing the mark. We hire people on achievement, on accolades, on po political uh, a favor. We never stop to think about how would this look like to this police department? What about the men and women that are here? We just want to celebrate the executive that we promote and they had a long career. Congrats. We never stop to ask what kind of effect will this person have on their people? Sure. What kind of effect will this person have on the community? That's never an interview question. That's, you know, we, we talk about like, what have you done? Where do you want to go? What is your vision? But we never say, why are you? What Good makes point. your character? Yeah. What makes your heart? Just like any other job, what makes you ready to lead human beings, to influence them, to do really hard things? Policing is a dynamic environment. We're not punching numbers. You need yeah. somebody that's leading from the front, that's modeling good behavior, sets example, uh, puts people first. If you don't have that, you will have a crappy police department. I Absolutely. promise you that. I worked for one. And it wasn't yeah. like that. It wasn't like that when I started. So that's 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 the passion that drives me. Absolutely. It makes me think, brother, of – and you saw this probably. It was recently. It was a couple of weeks ago. The entire police department in a, in a town in Minneapolis – I think Minneapolis used to, or Minnesota. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw that, Chad. It was, I, it was a smaller agency, like a five yep. or six man department. You know what? They all said, screw it and left. And what, what really made me angry is when, cause it, it made national attention. And when the mayor, the mayor mm -hmm. or some bureaucrat that's in charge of the police department, I'm blindsided by this. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. You were so not no way blindsided. The signs were in front of you all along. You no, just decided no to ignore them. Oh, so, it's frustrating here. It's frustrating to hear that. There's a, there's a 10 person agency near me and um, you know, we're doing some work there in this, in this agency and the chief is, is hasn't been on the job long. He was only uh, I think less than 10 years uh, and he's having tons of conflict. He is targeting his officers that oh. want to leave. And, and the more I dig in and I learn this guy is so scared to leave. He wasn't developed. He wasn't trained. They promoted the wrong person. I mean, it's just, it's okay. They didn't, they, they, they didn't think about the next phase. We just think about, you. Oh, you're the most senior here. You're going to get promoted. That doesn't mean anything. You might have to go outside if you don't have the right internal canon. We have to really start thinking about who, what human being, what human, what heart is sitting in that uniform, that chief executive uniform. That's what we need to look at. Not your accomplishments, not your resume. That's only a factor. That's important, but it's just a factor. Um, and and the, political, the political subterfuge I've, I've been running into of uh, really high qualified candidates who are not getting screened the right way because- 
they're not in this political pipeline. They're yeah. not the next, you know, uh, so that there's, there's a lot of layers to this, but it starts with uh, uh, politicians. It starts with these uh, executive boards that, that hire these chiefs. We have to start really scoping. And in my book, I actually put a, um, I put a, ch- a little chart I came up with that I think is really going to help uh, hiring boards or, or municipalities is how to screen an executive. Yeah. I don't put SWAT. I don't put tactical experience. I don't do any of that. What you'll see on there is active listening compassion, uh, uh, empathy, modeling good behavior. These are model, these are factors and you actually check the block. Are they somebody that models good behavior? I can tell you the chief that, that I work for at the end doesn't model good behavior. So if I were thinking of this lens beforehand or if, or if the hiring parties would have had this lens, they would have said, oh no, he doesn't model good behavior. Because the things he tells you to do, he does the opposite, right? This is just logical and factual. So if we go through mm-hmm. this unemotionally and make these assessments over time, I think we'll start to really um, put empathetic leaders in the right places. And that will change everything for our communities. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I, I remember when I was started going up the ranks, you know, we would have, I don't know what, what they had in your agency, brother, but we would have assessment centers. And some of these things that you mentioned were incorporated into uh, some of these scenarios where, you know, okay, it, w- it would be a morally. I mean, what would you do? I mean, what? How would you react? I, I, I mean, it had, had nothing gonna... to do with tactical operations, like you said. Okay, they want to know your heart. What is in your heart? Exactly. And, and and people, you know, Chad. I mean, it's it's very hard to bullshit. When I'm on an assessment center, it's very hard to bullshit five other senior staff members from various agencies. You can't BS those people. One hundred percent. They're going to see my, right through you. My brother just got is getting promoted to sergeant in September, and um, you know he was sharing some stories of the kind, of, kind of the comicalness of how we do these boards. You know, one of the scenarios questions he was asked is he works in a small municipality. I, I don't think they ever had a terrorist attack in their community, but the scenario question was, you know, there's a bomb that explodes on one side of town. There's a shooting on the other, and you have to respond like. That's not a day in and day out question. And my brother's response is great. He goes, well, what I can tell you is what we deal with on a day in day out basis is mental health disorders and people with comorbidities and yeah, multiple yeah. diagnoses. Well, I can deal, I can deal with those people really well. So if you're <laughs> asking me to answer a SWAT question that has never happened in this town. So, and then he finishes last on the list and he wants, you know, and it's just because these people, that's all they know. And, and frankly, they're trying to create a, a, a platform for them to succeed. And, and um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard, man. We have to start I, I, promoting <laughs> empathetic people. I've been on those boards too. It just made me think I was flashing back. The, the, you know, the, the scenario that just constantly gets worse when you answer. And it's the most unrealistic scenario. It's a scenario well, that maybe you'll never respond to. <laughs> a group of ISIS members attack the Walmart in your town and you're the only one working. Well, I would call for backup. There's no backup anywhere. You know, you know where this started, Patrick? I think this was the military. Dude, and you're so right. I think this is the militarization of police. I really do. Exactly. I think, I think we, we, and you have to have SWAT teams, all that stuff. I agree with all that. You have yeah, to find the people in this country. But I think that not every cop is a SWAT operator and not policing is not the military. And, and we just generationally and slowly, I think, uh, we just incorporate these unhealthy practices. Well, American citizens are not our enemies. I fought the enemy. Yeah. I fought the enemy. Yeah, American yeah, citizens are not our enemies. They are our citizens. They're brothers, sisters. We police them. Do they do violent things? Some of them do violent things. Absolutely. We don't need to hate them, judge them. That's not our role. We have to police them. There's a difference. There is well, a difference. And yeah. we, we have become the judge, the jury, the executioner, the moral authority. 
Um, people lie, men lie, women lie. Uh, we all do good things and bad things. And we just have to get back to we're police officers on the front lines. That's what we are. We're not the moral authority. Yeah. Yeah. But I love what I love that it's in your book, brother, because you're exactly right. I mean, what is this executive? What is a senior executive wants to to get on our department? What what does he think about certain things? What does he think about um, safety and health of our of his officers? What is he going to say when it gets to him that one of his officers wants to kill themselves? Mm, that's what a is he, question. What right. is he what is he going to say when, you know, his his officer is a once productive officer. Now he shows up with alcohol on his breath. <laughs> How is exactly. he going to deal with that type of stuff? Because that is really to, it goes back what you're saying in the book. Those are the people that you want in your agency. You need, you, you need, need them. them. And, and they need you. They need you. And, and like you said, brother, you're exactly right. I'm not discounting. I was a SWAT guy once. I'm not saying, oh, it's not important. No, of course it's important. But you're gonna you're not going to be kicking in doors, throwing flashbangs your whole career. You're no, going to be doing... You're going to be doing what you said in your book, brother. You're going to be yeah. talking to people. You're going to be growing people. You're going to be nurturing them, you know, appealing to their heart, keeping them happy as best as you can. So they don't say, screw it. I'm going to go and get out of law enforcement altogether. And and all, and you look at every industry and we all acknowledge this. All the research is starting to come out now that take care of your people and they will stay. Don't take care of your people and make it about you. The good ones will leave. The ones that don't have options, the ones you probably don't want, they're going to stick around. Yeah. The ones you want to stay around and build and grow, you know, they're going to leave. And uh, yeah. man, that, that can't happen in, in business. It can't happen in police departments. We have to keep those good people. Yeah. And I always said, brother, I heard a long time ago, and it really stuck with me over the years. People do not leave organizations, whether it's departments, companies, fire departments, people leave people. Yeah, exactly. People leave exactly. people. Why are you leaving, man? All oh, the guys are dick. You know, I have a shitty command staff. It's nothing ever against the department. Well, that whole depart department as an entity sucks. No, no, no. It's always people. Right, right, right. People right. leave. They're leaving for people. So we got to have you know the, the right people thing, on the bus. Dude, you're right. The right people on the bus. And that's the hardest thing is cops reaching out to you and me. I know the cops reach out to us privately and. And they're talking about the negative stuff going on, but they can't do anything about it. I'm friends with a bunch of cops on Twitter that have to use aliases, right? And they have yeah. to say, I can't use my real name. I, I, I'd get fired. And I'm like, why would you get fired from trying to advance the profession? You're trying to grow it. And, and I actually befriended one of the guys. He says, literally, my, my chief is jealous of, of any good things I do to help the department. If it's not him doing it, he gets jealous. So I have to create a fake Twitter account. So we need to get back to leaders are the strongest ones in your department. Yeah. They are the most moral. They are the most compassionate. They are the most empathetic. They lead from the front. They model behavior. When I was in the military, Pat, that's what your leader did. Absolutely. You didn't hold their hand and say, come on, or you didn't cover up for them. You, you were afraid to let them down. I Absolutely. called my first, my first squad leader in the army. I called him God. Now, I, you know, I was 17, 18. I wouldn't do that again, but but at, at that young, I was so young and craving a modeling behavior and, and authentic leadership. And this guy was that. Yeah. I called him God sometimes. We need to get back to a thinking that leaders are really strong people and Thank they God. are the best of us. And they are the best of us. And they're trying to make change. They're trying to help everybody kind of go along. And, and it's not about one person. It's not no. about accolades or anything like that.
No. And I'd like to just add, and you know, this Chad, you don't have to have rank to be a leader. Some of the best people that I worked with in law enforcement, the best leaders that I ever saw were cops that didn't have any rank. And hundred percent. And so if you're, I don't know, you know that, but getting back to the, the, hold on. I want to challenge you one, one second. On that, go ahead. Why does it have to be that way? In this well, current movement going forward, I, my goal is to make the ones that we say the unofficial leaders. I just, I think I agree with you, but I think that title has been reserved to the ones that can't politically get ahead. Oh, I agree. I agree. Butt. I agree. I want to get, I want those people to be the chiefs and the lieutenants I, I, and the captains. I, 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 That's absolutely. who we need to do. I, absolutely. And I, I like, you know, for, for the people out there, I just want to kind of make a comment about what you said about, you know, um, there is power in the regular street cop. I, I, let me rephrase it. So the chief might not, it's chief sand all be all or DC or whatever, chief executive of a, of an agency. They have a lot of power, but the one thing I learned, I was never a chief, but I was a commander up in those levels. Patrol has a lot of power because you know what? They're out there doing the work. Mm, all right. They're out there doing the work. And if the, Cops aren't happy. The patrol officers, you can't make everybody happy. There's, you know, they're, I mean, you know, cops are cops, Chad. Oh, it's bullshit. Everything's yeah, absolutely. Bullshit. That's like, absolutely. A, yeah, that's part of our vernacular. Uh, but I found that out when I was a commander where I might be sitting behind my desk or you know, do this, to, but the cops have the power. The patrol officers, case in point, and, you know, Minnesota, whole yep. department left. Everybody from chief, to patrol. Mm. So it's, but I agree with what you're saying, you know, focusing on the leadership of an organization. Yeah. And I think it all starts at leadership. If we can Absolutely. get that honed in, it all trickles down. Um, and and you said something, you said something I want to kind of, I want to jump in on is I think there's separate kind of uh, in, ineffective leaders. I think you have uh, oh, yes. incompetent, you have incompetent leaders. They weren't developed properly. Like the main crisis of law enforcement, we haven't developed enough leaders. We sent them to the FBI National Academy, Northwestern school. Okay, that's great. That's a certificate. But I mean, like, what other daily leadership development are we doing? We don't go to a school and think you're ready to lead. That, that's not how it works. So, um, we, so we're deficient in, in those kind of leaders. You have incompetent leaders. Then I think you have the fearful, emotionally and mentally unstable leaders. They're the ones that take hostages. They're the ones that make really bad policies because of their fear, their paranoia, their unwellness. Then if you would put a toxic leader, which is what I call uh, an unwell and an incompetent leader together, which I think many agencies have, that's where you get the toxicity. And I talk about that in the book. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's what we got to fix because cops are going to kill themselves, continue to kill themselves. They're going to continue to take hostages, continue to divorce their family, abandon their family uh, because of their, they're in these horrible environments. And there's a lot of departments in America like that today. Yeah. And I love, excellent. I agree with you hundred percent. And I also go back to what you say in the book, you know, it, we can, we can try to weed all this out in a proper vetting process before somebody gets a star or an Eagle or whatever the hell, or before they're uh, promoted, go back what you were saying in your book, brother. We yeah. need to ask the right questions. Uh, you're right. Not the, we, the need right a, we need questions. We, we, we need to screen personality. I really do. We need to screen you know, the personality. There's personality assessments. So, you know, this is my employer to law enforcement. Start using the IACP. Start using personality assessments to select executives. Um, I'll tell you one thing. If, if we hire a, a, an egomaniac, um, it, it's, it's just, and we all know those egomaniacs are all out there. We just don't think about the damage that does to people's lives. You know, it's well, not like just the it, it's well, not like just the officers that are leading their families too. 
Well, and it, it impacts not just the department, the officers, but guess who else? The community. Right, right. The community, yeah. because <laughs> I mean, yeah, everything I, listen, is connected. I, I know chiefs uh, very well personally that that um, probably think that they're a general of the army and they're absolutely ineffective in their job. And that level of self-awareness, thinking that they deserve more promotions, more titles when they can't even do the – that's a problem. I don't know yeah. how you fix that, but that, that might be more of a mental health issue. Well, I always said, and this is the honest to God truth, and I know you've worked with people like this before, brother, is they think they're the smartest in the room. Narcissism. Mm -hmm. Hey, Chad, can I get your opinion on this? Oh, yeah. Well, that sucks. That's not what we're doing. I never wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, I want always be. wanted to hear. Well, but a lot of people want to, brother. You know, that. I know. I know. No, no, I agree with you. I, I'm saying guys they might like, listen. They might listen to you and yeah, yeah, but they're really not listening no. because they already know what they're going to do. It's, I have a funny story about this, actually. You're, you're going to appreciate this. Uh, toward the end of my career, um, I'm, I'm kind of mentoring a, a, a sar new sergeant. And I have this long, we have a staff meeting. I have this long, I was a squad leader that we have this long list of notes always. And I, we're sitting in a meeting and, and I'm showing the notes to this office sergeant. And, you know, they're like, oh, this is, this is good. I like to talk about it. And I'm kind of sitting halfway around the room. So they're starting closest to the chief. And as they go around, and I'm just watching the backstroking, the the stroking, the ego stroking, the celebratory. Like we have problems, <laughs> real problems in our community and our department. And I'm watching everybody celebrate each other. So by the time it got back to me, they're like, hey, Brooke, you got anything? And I go, no, nah, I'm good. And that was it. And they moved around. But afterwards, the sergeant's like, I'm going to say anything. I said, because it doesn't matter. I came here for problems, trying to get solutions, because that's I'm a solutions person. We're not, we're, the, the culture broke. It's not, we're not here to, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like what's going on in our country. We're not here to fix the problems and we're here to stroke ourselves. So, yeah. Um, you know, and I think that gets back to that, that yeah, ego, absolutely. right? It's not about us. It's about the community. Everything's about the community. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that cracks me up. I've, I've been in meetings like that too. No. You know, so it's so funny how. <laughs> I just, I'd, I'd be waste. I'd be wasting my breath. Oh, I think we should do this. Today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just a waste of time. We're not here to get solutions. Hey, we got a meeting tomorrow to talk about the same stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and we put the same people in charge of the same things. And we wonder why it's not getting done. It, it, and then we're promoting people that aren't high achievers. So then yeah. now we're giving them more responsibility. And then we're, more, then we're shocked when shit goes yeah, haywire. More influence. And then, yeah, what's, and then we're having conflict. We, it's, we it, don't understand. The other thing, have you ever experienced this? And you were a commander. So uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Leaders that insulate themselves with people they trust. Yes, people, even though they're probably not qualified to be in that role. Absolutely. But they feel, they feel safe with them. But that's, I'm curious Absolutely. what your thoughts about that. What are your Absolutely. thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. You had you it because they insulate. They silo themselves. You know, they want to be around people that are going to stroke their ego. They want to get, be around people. I don't want to be around people like that. I'm not saying they're horrible people. I, I just wanted to, I wanted to be around people that had a different opinion that I could glean information from uh, that would say, Hey, you know, Fitz, they, even my friends, when I was a commander, they called me Fitz say, you know, man, you shouldn't be doing this um, without it, me saying, well, what the, f how could you, I'm a command? No. Exactly. No, yeah. I mean, that's just how I would, this goes back to how people, we were talking about it before, how you were raised, not only raised from a kid, but raised in law enforcement oh, and raised wow. in the military. The, the, and the, well, the childhood thing, actually, I write about this about a lot of my book. Can we get into that a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. One thing I want to say real quick, piggybacking on what you just said, is uh, truth. Truth. Yeah. If we are always seeking truth, it doesn't matter who's around us. If we're seeking not, to not be told the truth, then that's where we have some problems. So uh, to anybody, prospective leader out there, you know, surround yourself with people that will be truthful with you, be honest with you. That's all that matters. That's yeah. really all that matters. You don't have to like them. You don't have to hang out together. You just need truth.
Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about childhood trauma. I think this is the biggest thing holding the cops back, and we don't ever talk about it. No. One in four police officers have experienced childhood trauma. This is in my book. I talk about this. And I learned about this from other therapists during this process. If we don't, and, and if we don't resolve our trauma, those perspectives, that lived experience of trauma, it, it affects our decision-making. It affects our, our emotional health, our mental health, our physical. We actually develop physical symptoms from stress and trauma. Like this is crazy as kids. So if we don't deal with our trauma, and by the way, police officers and military, you know this, they, we go into these fields and I talk about this in the book. So this might be shocking to some, but we go into these fields because we're broken people too. And we want to help people. And we want to help people. We learn, like we know how to help, right? Yeah, yeah. There Are there some of us that just are hijacking for salary? Probably, but I don't think, I think it's a commitment. When you go to serve a police officer, go to I the agree. police academy, go to the police academy. Like, I think you all have the right reason to do it. Um, but, but what happens is that trauma, that childhood unresolved trauma, unresolved trauma, we all have trauma. That comes out and manifests in very unhealthy ways at home, in our marriage, at work. And if you can now as police officers, we continue to see more trauma. So think of that childhood stuff. Maybe you had a, a dad who never told you, I love you, never told you I'm proud of you, never came to your games. He was working. He was trying to build a business. He doesn't have time for his son. That son grows up trying to attach himself to affirmations from everybody. Absolutely. Validation in and of itself. Is that necessarily the worst thing? I'm not a therapist, but I think in leadership roles, if you need to be validated a lot, oh, that is, yes. a, that is, it's, it's counterproductive. It can't be done. So I watch leaders uh, uh, try to satisfy people that have no uh, a structure or no chain of command, but they make them feel good. They make them feel like they're a good leader. They're doing a good job, even though that person probably isn't a good leader. Right. So, well, that's like uh, their own insecurities coming out, brother. Right. You said it, it. It it's is. like it anybody is. who has to sit there and, and tells you, and I've worked with people like this leaders that has to tell you their resume every chance they get. And, and I, I've done this, that, and that, and that, and that all the time. Every time when you talk to them, that mm-hmm. is a person that needs some help. That is Absolutely. the person that has some securities, insecurities. And, need, and we and all have help. them. They, they yep. need help. And need uh, help. I'm not saying they didn't do shit. I mean, we've all done, especially law enforcement and military, we've all done a bunch of stuff. It's just that you don't need to constantly regurgitate what you've done, seeking affirmations from people all the time. 100%. And it's I, not think, healthy. I think it's not healthy. It's, it's, it's not healthy. And I, I actually talked to some women for the book about the women officers and they communicate even worse. You know, their experience is, is even worse because they're in an all male you know, culture. And then they also have some baggage you're dealing with. We absolutely. don't think about that. Yeah, and that absolutely. as a woman, I mean, every woman can relate to the stuff of being a mom and a parent. You look at things a little different than your male counterpart. And again, we don't talk about that. We should ask this question. Hey, what are you dealing with at home? What is that like being a female officer? Like, why are we uncomfortable having those conversations? I don't understand that. Yeah. Absolutely. Brother, where yeah. can, when's the book coming out? Next question. Uh, and where 15th. can we get it? Oh man. September 15th is coming out. Um, it'll be on Amazon. Um, I'm trying to sell oh, them so from my excited. website. Just, just so, oh, thanks man. I'm trying to sell them from my website just to, to have a little bit more engagement with the community, Absolutely. build a, build a community that way. Um, so yeah, if you go actually my website, motivate-change.com, motivate-change.com. Oh, my God. There's the order information there. You can pre-order comes out in two weeks, a little over two weeks. I, my kids will, me and my kids, we will put the book in a package. I'll sign it for you. We will put I have a little oh surprise, God. little surprising goodies. <laughs> that is that my so kids are awesome. Put in there. We will hand deliver, hand mail that, put it in the mailbox uh, and send it to you. So we have 45 pre-orders already. I had a company order 20 already. And it's just, it's not even, it's not even, it's, it's not even out yet. So I'm like, how do, why do you, order? Am, you don't even know what, you don't know what's in the book. Why are you ordering 20? <laughs> because you're you, you're Chad Bruckner yeah. mm. and you're a humble guy. You're a great guy. And you have so much to tell the world, brother. And I am wow. so honored to call you friend. And I can't wait for the book to come out. 
Thank and you, brother. Thank I can't you, wait to Thank bring you, you back. Out. I, I can't wait to bring you back on the show sometime down the road. I love you. Any final you too, words buddy. before we, we wrap up? Be the change you want to see in the world. Absolutely. It's easy and it's free. All you have to do is make good choices and, and you don't have to uh, get a loan from a bank. You don't have to know any famous friends or have a big network. Be kind, model the behavior you want others around you to see and do it every single freaking day. Chad Bruckner. Till next time, my brother. Thank you so much. God bless.